Welcome back to Tequila She Wrote, a podcast about cocktails and true crime. I'm Trish, your bartender. And I'm Sloan, your crime tender. And today we are doing the case of Glenn Edward Rogers. Mm-hmm. I know nothing about this. He's known as the Casanova Nova killer, which I'm not a fan of naming all of these killers like this. But the Casanova killer slash cross-country killer. Um, we're kind of combining Trisha's home state and my home state today. Oh! <laughs> mm-hmm. So, I'm excited because, yeah. Ohio, Mississippi, and there are a lot of other pit stops in between there, too. So, this will be a learning, like, I get learning curve for all of us. So, I'm excited. I'm sure maybe at one point I've heard something, but it's nothing's like ringing the bell right now. So we shall see. But for now, I guess let's kick you off to the case. Welcome back to another round of bartending with your bartender, Trish. And for today's drink, I'm doing another beer. This is a Imperial Stout. So, you know know about beers. That's one that usually has much more complexity and it's usually a much higher ABV. Which, if you don't understand what ABV is, it's alcohol by volume. Um, and Prairie, which is definitely, like, one of my favorite breweries, (laughs) they do really good sours, and lately they've really upped their stout game, in my opinion, which I have very weird beer tastes. I literally, like, love, like, ciders and sours and stuff like that, and then, like, I'll enjoy a couple of wheat beers, and then I jump the full spectrum and go to, like, Stouts and porters. IPAs, not really my thing. Pale ales, stuff like that, no. So, I'm probably like all over the map as far as beer drinkers go. But this is a stout from Prairie called This Is The Way. Which, if you are a Mandalorian fan, yes, it is what you're thinking. It is kind of a play on Mandalorian. The little uh, cover art is literally like the, it's like the prairie like beaver thing (laughs) in like a Mandalorian like suit and he's carrying his little helmet. It's, it's cute. Definitely look up the artwork or find the beer. But like I said, it's an Imperial Stout. It is... 13.6 AVV, which, I mean, that's not unheard of for a stout, but that's definitely up there. A barrel-aged imperial stout with dark chocolate cream-filled cookies, so basically Oreos is what they're trying to say. Um, Toasted coconut, toasted marshmallow flavor, and toasted almonds. It's a crazy, like, stout. It's definitely that chocolate that if you drink stouts that you are expecting. I let my roommate try it. She loved it. Sloan tried it. She was not a fan at first, but she liked the aftertaste. Once it settles, it's great. But that initial, like, stout... <laughs> she uh, remember she's not a beer person. I'm not so. a beer person at all. So the fact that she could still even say like you know the aftertaste wasn't bad. The fact that I could even pick out flavors at all. It kind of tasted like a Milky Way. Kind of. It's. Didn't you say coconut? Yes. I don't get the coconut. I don't. I do not yeah, like coconut. Yeah, you don't at all. get a lot of coconut. Um. 
So I got to try this at work. Our rep that like their company carries this brewery brought in all of them. Like, so this is a series of like three or so different stouts that they came out with, which I'm, I'm going to eventually cover another one, but I'm doing this one for now because it by far is the overall crowd pleaser of the three. Um, but this one came out, we got to try it at work and it's just, it's one of those ones I'm like, this is crazy stout. Like this is one that we're probably going to tap it at work and depending on pricing and what people are willing to pay, I can see it being gone within like a week and a half because we only get like the little six barrels. Mm -hmm. We don't get, we don't do the mm -hmm. like half kegs, <laughs> but yeah. It, it's a crazy one. It's very good. If you can get your hands on it, I definitely, definitely suggest you trying to find it and buy it. I know here in Alabama, it is very limited in its release. And it's also <laughs> expensive at my, at my store. I think it's like 15 a piece for like the three that we just got in. I get a discount and I just bought two and I spent like $30. So uh, <laughs> yeah, it was um, an expensive little investment into the podcast, but in my opinion, well worth it because like I said, I enjoy these type of beers. So, in the future, if you have any beer requests and that, just know sours, wheat beers, stouts, and porters. If it's an IPA, it better be one that's got actually some fucking flavor to it. Because <laughs> if it is hop-based, nah, I'm not gonna like it. So, I guess with that all being said, I will kick you off to the episode. Glenn Edward Rogers was born and raised in Hamilton, Ohio, Cincinnati, to parents Edna and Claude Rogers. Oh, Cincy. Oh, Ohio. <laughs> you cannot convince me that the Hellmouth is not in Ohio at this point. I mean, it wouldn't be shocking. But Hamilton is Cincinnati. Well... <laughs> that means nothing to me. I'm just saying it is Cincinnati. It's Hamilton. All right. Anyways, so Glenn was one of seven children. Oh, uh, yeah. That good German, probably German Catholic family. Seven children. I would die. <laughs> I would die. But being one of seven children was honestly like the most interesting thing about him growing up. Daddy Claude was a hydro pulp operator at the local. I, I just hear Daddy Claude and I think Daddy Claus. <laughs> it is Christmas time. It is Christmas time. I'm sorry. We've been drinking for quite a few hours now. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Anyways. So, Daddy Claude was a hydro pulp operator at the local paper company. And I assume because I could not find contrary to this, that Mama Edna was a stay-at-home mom, once again, because seven, seven children. I mean, yeah. That's a whole job in itself. And it is the 1960s. So, that's my assumption. Could not find any evidence contradictory to it. That's what we're going with. So, once he hit puberty, Glenn was a smooth-talking son of a bitch with a oh. hair-trigger temper. If he were of age today, I would guarantee that he would be a fuckboy. I was going to say, your modern day fuckboy. So, you know, the Casanova type. Yeah. He was said to be able to talk a person into anything. A ride home from the bar, a place to crash for a few days or weeks, and even love. Okay. Maybe a Cupid of some sort. I don't know. Glenn was expelled from his junior high school when he was 15 years old. He was almost 16, but 15. 
If that wasn't crazy enough, shortly after, his 14-year-old girlfriend, Deborah Ann, got pregnant. I read in one source that it was from another man. And then I read in a couple of other sources that it was Glenn's child. There is no factual answer to this that I could find. You do you, boo. You do you. You do you, boo. (laughs) Regardless, Glenn married his young girlfriend in a shotgun wedding. And the teenagers moved to Southern California, where Glenn got a job at the Highland Press Printing Company in Pasadena, following in Daddy Claude's footsteps. Oh, boy. The couple continued and went on to have a child of their own, if the first was not their own, once again, (laughs) questionable, in 1981. But the marriage did not last long after the second child. Deborah Ann filed for divorce, alleging physical abuse, one of the first in a long line of women to state that claim. Glenn's life began to crumble, so he returned home to Hamilton, Ohio. There began his lifelong pattern of holding down menial jobs and racking up a criminal record that included public drunkenness, theft, assault, and arson. Typical for Cincinnati. It's fine. I was going to say that I could see myself being in trouble for three of those things. (laughs) Arson. (laughs) I was going to say, y'all can pick which three. Arson for sure. (laughs) I do love fire. I do. Public Um, drunkenness. Was that one? That that was one. And then to be honest, assault. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. And I'd be sitting there and be like, "Do it, go, do go, it, go, go, go." They'd be like, "Ma'am, what's going on here? Nothing. I didn't see a thing. <laughs> I'm blind." <laughs> Meanwhile, she's got the whole thing on video. <laughs> I just said Siri record. (laughs) (laughs) So that Sloan could see it later. Ma'am, how you know you're facing the right way? I just listened. (laughs) So let me know. Let me know if your three guesses were correct. Greg, back back to the actual criminal here, (laughs) Greg, uh, (sighs) 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 Greg also began building his skill, quote unquote skill, of picking up women at bars, using his blonde good looks, and free spending charm to seduce those vulnerable enough. And I'm going to go ahead and say I'm zero. always a blonde. I was going to say I'm zero of three for those attributes. Always a blonde. What I mean, about us redheads now? <laughs> ooh. Okay, anyways. Uh, you did say German ancestry earlier, so blonde. Yeah. It fits. Yeah. It fits. Mm-hmm. Um, after moving back to Ohio for a bit, Glenn moved in with 71-year-old Mark Peters, a retired electrician and veteran. Mark lived in a cabin in Bettyville. Kentucky? Okay, I was like Kentucky. Yeah. But I said that right? So, Bettyville, Kentucky. But this cabin was actually owned by the Rogers family. So, this was a family friend-ish sort of situation. He was like, hey, you're recently divorced. You're kind of running through jobs. You're having problems with the law. Like, I live at your family's home. a stayed away. You don't really know anybody here. Let's move you here. See if things get a little bit better and just kind of go from there. We just glossed over the fact that he got divorced. I thought I mentioned that. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. I'm just like, we just glossed over the fact that he got no, divorced. I'm so shocked. No, I mentioned uh, Deborah filed for divorce, okay. alleging physical abuse. Remember? I don't know. That might have been another tangent of um, crimes. I don't know. It was before. It was right before he moved back to Ohio. Okay. I don't know. I did talk about it. <laughs> it's, in, it's in the notes. 
I feel like we should stop this and make sure that I talk about that because that's an important part. So he got divorced. He moved back to Ohio and then he ended up moving to Kentucky to live at his family's cabin with a family friend. Okay, so the timeline gets a little murky here, but what we do know is that they lived together until October 1993 when Mark was reported missing as well as his car and several valuable personal items including antiques, guns, and a collection of coins. So all valuable slash like self-defense items. And we know that Mark was alive until October 1993, but... Sometime at towards the end of October, there was a missing persons report filed on him. On January 10th, 1994, Clay Rogers, who is Glenn's brother, led police to search the family cabin for clues, which led to the discovery of Mark's skeleton, which was bound to a chair and covered by a file of abandoned furniture. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the next time that anyone really hears or knows of anything from Glenn is September 28th, 1995. So like a whole year and a half later. And he's in Los Angeles, California. Specifically on this night, he's at McRed's Bar in Van Nuys, California, which is where he meets Sandra Gallagher, a 33-year-old mother of three and also one of the bartenders slash barmaids at the bar that night. The next day, Sandra's body was found strangled inside of her burning pickup truck near Glenn's apartment. Glenn fled town and hit the road to good old Mississippi. Oh, Mississippi. Here we go. I told you we were both here. Buckle up. So Glenn went to the Mississippi State Fair which is usually held at the beginning of October, and I have many a fond memories there. It's I will say, where's it? Held in Jackson. At? Okay. It's in Jackson. It's pure trash. I fucking love it. <laughs> I love it. I went every year from, like, pretty much toddlerhood until I, like, was in college. Love it. You got your Ferris wheels. You got the corn dog pups. Love all of it, but it's usually hosted at the beginning of October. There are also like several beer stands around, and I know that for a fact because that's where my mom would like to go. Random side note: I think uh, Kenny just learned that you're from Mississippi. Mm-hmm. So if uh, I believe it was Kenny, so if you see him, remind him you're from Mississippi. Am I crooked letter, crooked letter, I, <laughs> crooked letter, crooked letter, I, humpback, humpback, I. Honestly, uh, that reminds me of P Valley, which is in Mississippi. And Miss I fucking love that show. Miss Mississippi. And they do that whole thing in that intro. Anyways. Anyways. So, Glenn goes to the Mississippi State Fair, where he meets Linda Price at a beer tent. Oh, Linda was a beautiful redhead in her 30s. Yeah, don't say. And was there with her sister, Kathy Carroll, who remembers Linda being infatuated right away with Glenn. She kept asking asking her sister, ain't he good looking? <laughs> I wish you could see like the way that Sloan's like mouth goes. <laughs> Just <laughs> to, to talk southern. <laughs> Ain't he good looking? With like the the fact that like you used to have your your little gap from the, <laughs> I was like it just it looks so like so Mississippi. It looks so like stereotype Southern. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> it's just so funny. Like you've taught yourself to like talk with it kind of covered, and then when you go Southern, it goes. <laughs> There's a certain way that you have to talk to sound Southern. <laughs> like a good old Southern girl. It's just so funny, though, because I'm like, oh, Sloan, <laughs> you looking real Southern. <laughs> I regret doing this. <laughs> I regret it. Oh. <laughs> Anyways, so Glenn and Linda move in together literally right away. And I say right away 
because, well, so they lived for at least short weeks together before Linda was found dead in the bathtub of their shared apartment. Oh, jeez. Mm-hmm. The last time that her sister Kathy saw Linda was the night before Halloween in 1995. Not Halloween. Yes, Halloween. Not our favorite holiday. And like I said, the Mississippi State Fair is the beginning of October. It's the first couple of weeks. There is not a set date in any of these articles or transcriptions of when they met. So it literally could have been any time in the first two weeks of October. And by Halloween... Linda was found murdered in her apartment bathroom in the bathtub. But Kathy knows for a fact that she had talked to her sister the night before Halloween because they had made plans for Kathy's kids to come to Linda's apartment complex to trick or treat. So whenever Kathy showed up the next day with the kids in tow, she knocks on the door and nobody answers. She knew immediately that something was wrong. So she called the cops. The cops come. They get into the apartment, and they found Linda. But to everybody slash nobody's surprise, Glenn is nowhere to be found. Oh. Mm-hmm. Not even a week later, on November 5th, 1995, Tina Marie Cribs was seen with Glenn leaving the Showtown Bar in Gibson Town, Florida. So, one, every white girl's got the middle name Marie. <laughs> I have to make that joke Not because me. <laughs> my name's my middle name's Marie. It's all right. I have the second most common, Elizabeth. Fair. <laughs> and then the second thing that I want to point out here because Florida and Mississippi, they're both in the southeast. You don't feel like they're that far away from each other, but Gibson Town is eleven hours away from Jackson, Mississippi. So it's like the southern part of Florida. It is on the south side of Tampa. There you go. So yes. Yes, you're you're pretty much in the right spot. I was like, it, it's down towards the the bottom of the panhandle. Mhm. Well, and you have to think from Jackson to Mobile, that's already 3 hours right there. Just to hit Mobile, that's not even counting the traffic <laughs> to yeah. get through Mobile. But anytime that I go home to Jackson, like I'm counting at least a three-hour trip from my apartment to Jackson. At least it's three hours for you. If I want to go to Louisville, that's a 14-hour drive. Mm-hmm. But I'm just saying, like, once again, you think Mississippi, Florida, close together. It's still a good bit away. We would have at least eight hours to go from here yeah. to Gibson Town. So a bartender told police that Glenn had bought Tina and her friends drinks and that Glenn later asked Tina for a ride. Tina was supposed to meet her mom at the bar, but her mom was running late. So Tina bought her mom a beer, left it on the bar for her friends to give it to her, and then said she would be back shortly to meet her mom. She drove Glenn to a motel in Tampa, and the two went inside to fuck... (laughs) In a fit of rage, Glenn stabbed Tina two times, twisting oh, the knife, leaving her to die in the motel bathtub. Why, why you gotta Sound twist familiar? it? Why you gotta twist it? To make sure that the two times really did the job. I don't right, know. Like, him. Damn, son. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. why? <laughs> two days later, a member of the cleaning staff at Tampa 8 Inn found Tina Tina's body... I'm sorry, two days later? Yes. It took you that long to fucking clean the room? Two days? Yes. 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 Because We ain't ever staying there. (laughs) Because on November 5th, Glenn paid for an extra night after he had already been there for a few days and he had paid in advance and this is something that a clerk, like, attested to to cops. So, he had been staying at the motel for a few days. And then on November 5th, Glenn paid for an extra night and asked that his room not be cleaned the following day. Sir. Mm-hmm. So, the clerk saw Glenn put his shit in a white Ford Festiva before leaving that same day. You put your shit in a clown car and left. Yes. 
believe me, my parents tried to get me to get a Festiva that was a clown car. <laughs> I thought my little Geo Tracker was a clown car. Nah. That was spacious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the next day on November 6th, Tina's wallet was found at a rest area in North Florida. So once again, Gibsonton is south of Tampa. <sighs> which is at least six, five, yeah. six hours away from North Florida. So with her body being found in Tampa, there's no reason for her ID and stuff to be found anywhere away from Tampa at this point. Authorities were able to lift the fingerprints from her wallet to run through the system. Those fingerprints matched the fingerprints from the hotel room, which also matched Glenn Edward Rogers' fingerprints. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> you don't say. Right? But Glenn ultimately came into the national spotlight after police in Bossier City, Louisiana, connected him to the murder of his friend, Andy Giles Sutton. Her body was found on November 9th, 1995, naked and stabbed to death on her waterbed in the apartment that she briefly shared with Glenn. And I'm like... How briefly did you share an apartment with this man? Like, 24 fucking hours? That's a house guest, not a roommate. Yeah. Gosh. Ugh. So, Glenn Edward Rogers, in all of his glory, was aired on a Saturday night TV program you may have heard of. America's Most Wanted. Oh. Which garnered over 400 phone calls, an unusually high number according to the show. Their producer said that they would... receive like 1,000 calls per episode. Like every week, that was the continual thing that they kind of expected. And America's Most Wanted had 10 fugitives. So 1,000 calls, 10 people, that's 100 calls per person. This one person on the list garnered 400 calls that one night. And you also have to consider that at this point, he's been in Ohio. California, Louisiana, Mississippi, Florida. He's also probably, he's had to have passed through Arizona, New Mexico, and all those things. There's just not quite a paper trail at this point. So on November 14th, 1995, Glenn was spotted mid-afternoon on a two-lane road in Waco, Kentucky, by a state police detective, Bob Stevens who noticed Tina Marie Cribb's stolen car. Bob also carried a photo of Glenn in his car and said, I pulled up beside him and was able to get a good look at him, and I knew it was him. After taking a long swig of his beer, Glenn threw an empty can at the police cruiser and sped off, reaching 100 miles per hour. Oh, boy. At one point, driving between two police cars that were set up as a roadblock to deter him. And to that I say, for roadblocks, why don't you put your ass against ass to make sure that doesn't happen? I mean... Just an idea, police officers. I don't know. I I, I really don't have a... That's not even a smart-assy question like I usually have. That's a legitimate question. So one of the officers, after he went through the roadblock, fired a shotgun blast that hit, hit the rear tires, but that did not stop Glenn. Sergeant Joey Barnes was able to ram his patrol car into Tina's car and spun Glenn off the highway into a ditch after a 15 mile high speed chase. Then quickly took Glenn into custody. As he smelled of alcohol and looking dazed. A local TV crew filmed the chase and arrest on scene where Glenn claimed to not have killed anyone and wanted to talk to the reporter alone. Without cops there. I'm like, that's fishy. Suspicious. Earlier in that day, Glenn had dropped by the house of his cousins, Edith and Clara Smallwood. He stepped up on their porch and asked them if they knew that What they'd seen on TV wasn't entirely true. Glenn told them, I just wanted to tell you all bye and I love you because I know when they catch me, they're going to kill me. Pray for me. And then he started crying. So, 
your death is worth tears, but these women that you killed aren't worth tears? I don't know. Edith, concerned for Glenn's safety, alerted state troopers leading to the high-speed chase. Shocker. I was really shocked by that, to be honest. (laughs) And so, also, this was an interesting little tidbit to the story, is that the house where Glenn stopped to visit his cousins is across the highway from the family cabin where the body of Mark Peters was found. So, close. localities and whatnot. So he was arrested. He told the TV crew, like, hey, I didn't kill anybody. I don't want to talk to you. But then also, once he was taken into custody, he told police that he had killed at least 70 people. Oh, jeez. And then he retracted that, saying that he was just joking. How could he ever? Well, my dude, you've been traveling the country for quite some time. Most of the females that he's killed have been redheads. So, I know that I mentioned at the top of the episode that people call him the Casanova killer, the cross-country killer. He's also known as the redheaded killer. I didn't want to give that away too soon. Oh, man. But, like, that's also why I have a problem with us titling killers like this. Because that's what they're looking for. Is the fame and the notoriety. And, like, this is just some fucked up man that took advantage of women who were just looking for something good in life. So, Glenn was arrested. He was questioned for six hours until he finally requested an attorney at about 9.30 p.m. Shockingly, Glenn was cooperative and talkative, but authorities were sure that he was was not entirely lucid, which is problematic to say the least. The Los Angeles Police Department sent investigators to question Glenn in connection with the September 29th killing in Van Nuys. Authorities believed he was a suspect in four unsolved killings in the area where victims were either strangled or stabbed, then set on fire or left in bathtubs. All in alignment with his varying MOs. You know, most criminals have an MO and their MOs can have like multiple things. So I feel like for him, this is all lining up. The LAPD even heard from some of Glenn's acquaintances of how he bragged about Sandra Gallagher being his eighth murder. Los Angeles detective Stephen Fisk said, I think this man's been doing this for a long time. I think we're going to be amazed by all the bodies we find behind this guy. To that I say, Are we talking about Israel Keys? Because (laughs) this sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah. As news of Glenn's arrest made national news, family and friends of his victims celebrated. There were many stories of the loved ones gathering in bars and ordering shots in honor of their loved ones and the arrest of their murderer. Us. Us. Literally, Tina... Her friends took her urn of ashes to the bar and put her ashes in the center of the table and got a round of shots for all of them. And they sat around her and had a shot for one last time. So when I pass, if I pass after you, that's what I'm before you. That's what I want you to do for me. Okay. 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 One of the friends even went on the news to say, I hope he gets castrated. Oh, same. (laughs) (laughs) Also us. While others cried for the death penalty. Glenn's arrest was a great relief to Rain Keener, a 24-year-old bartender at McRed's Cocktail Lounge in Van Nuys, California, who fended off Glenn's advances and then watched him leave with Sandra that dreary night. Can you imagine the guilt? (laughs) And, like, relief and worry that he would come back for you? I can't, but I can imagine how relieved she felt when he was finally actually caught. Because, like, if I were her, you know, like, you would see him leave the bar, and you don't know if he's left the area or not. But you knew that this woman that you knew, that you saw in the bar, and then she showed... Anyways. Yeah. Anyways. Whew. So... Also, after Glenn was arrested, the owner of McGred's hosted a half-off ladies' night in honor of Sandra... I could cry over this, but I'm not. I won't. I think that's fucking sweet. 
On May 7, 1997, Glenn was convicted of murder in a Tampa court for the murder of Tina Marie. During the seven-day trial, the defense maintained that Glenn was not the murderer. In a shocking turn of events, Ohio Police Sergeant Tim Kilgore testified on behalf of Glenn. Glenn had worked for the department in Ohio as a paid undercover narcotics informant, making hundreds of cases over the years without ever breaking his cover. What the fuck? Because also, once this man is convicted, doesn't that undo all of your cases that he's been on? Because yeah. he is now a conflicted informant? Uh -huh. Police. Police. I know I've talked shit about you before, but if you want to pay me as an informant, I'll do all the dirty work. I'll do it. And I won't commit a murder. <laughs> Unless it's necessary. Anyways. So. In the defense's closing argument at trial in Florida, he said the state rushed to judgment. Glenn Rogers was a thief, not a murderer. Okay, buddy. Still not looking good for your client. Nope. The jury took eight hours to find him guilty of murder. And then the next day, they took three hours to deliberate and serve the death penalty as pun punishment. After the Tampa trial, Glenn still had to face three more trials in different states. So on July 9th, 1997, the state of California indicted Glenn on counts of first-degree murder and arson. The governors of California and Florida reached an extradition agreement that would extradite Glenn to California to stand trial. Glenn then would be transported back to Florida to serve his sentence. You know, the sentence of the death penalty? <laughs> like... I get the point of sending him to other states to ensure that he gets the maximum punishment that he deserves, but also at some point it becomes a waste of taxpayers' money to send him back and forth from states just to earn the death penalty from each other. Right. But also, being in this line of podcasting and research and lifelong SVU... Um, What's the other word? Forensic Files is what I'm thinking of. Forensic oh, yeah. Files fans, we know that sometimes one state can fail or if an appeal goes through and things fail, then it's nice to have another state to back you up that if Florida was like, oh, hey, his appeal went through, we can send you to California for the death penalty now. So I don't get it from a waste of money standpoint. And then I do get it from a, we need to make sure this guy is gone away for forevers. Glenn was extradited to California in October of 1998. He stood trial for strangling Sandra Gallagher and convicted of first degree murder and arson on June 22nd, 1999. So once again, <laughs> like he's been there for almost a year he's already sentenced the death penalty. <laughs> you can see how it's easy to argue both sides. Yeah. And then he was sentenced to death in California on July 16th, 1999. So basically we're just really making sure this guy is toast at this point. Because he has two death penalties out of four guaranteed cases. Glenn was scheduled to be executed on Valentine's Day in 1999 in Florida. He immediately appealed to the Florida Supreme Court, claiming that the state had not presented enough evidence to support the charges. Glenn also argued that the trial court should have granted the defense's motions for a mistrial because one of the witnesses was allowed to testify about a misdemeanor for which Glenn was convicted, convicted of in California. To which I say, if it upholds a, like, long-term pattern, it's, it's allowed. Yeah. It's allowed. It doesn't matter that it crosses state lines. Because, sir, you have crossed many state lines with your offenses. Yeah. The defense attorney also claimed the prosecution was allowed to present an improper argument during closing arguments. Not sure what that was. Wasn't stated. Okay. Just something that the defense attorney was using. Fortunately, Glenn's appeal was delayed until March 2001 and ultimately denied. In April of 2005, Glenn filed another final appeal, which was denied in 2011. So, 
He was actually put to death in 2019, right before COVID. Okay. I don't have a whole lot of details about that. I think it was lethal injection. I'm not interested in that. What I am very interested in is, Trish, do you have your tinfoil hat ready? <laughs> yes, I do. I okay. literally saw a TikTok. I was like, you live in the South. You love your conspiracy theories. We don't question it. We just put our hats on and we go. And I was like, yeah, it's Sloan. And then she's got me on that side now, too. <laughs> All right, so let's go. Let's go. So, like I said, he is kind of known as the redhead killer. And I felt like this was very appropriate because Trish just covered the Nicole Brown Simpson episode. So, if you haven't listened, go back and listen to that. But she's blonde, but there's a conspiracy theory. She's a redhead. Following. No. She, like, naturally, she's a redhead. She's dyed blonde. Oh. She's like, she does have red to her. Anyways, so. There's this documentary. It was released in 2012 called My Brother the Serial Killer that covers oh. all of Glenn's crimes, then throws out that Glenn killed Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman on June 12th, 1994, which is a time period that he was in Los Angeles for. Oh. Because he killed Sandra Gallagher. Shortly after that, he had killed his roommate. Shortly before that, so this is kind of right in the middle of Mark Peters and Sandra Gallagher. He definitely had an apartment with Elise at this time in Los Angeles. Huh. So, this is all based on the Rogers family and their claims. So, Glenn, one of Glenn's many brothers, Clay, Clay claimed that Glenn told him before the murders that he had met Nicole and was, quote, going to take her down. The documentary also shares that Anthony Miolis, a criminal profiler, had extensive correspondence with Glenn starting in 2009. Glenn wrote to Anthony, painting, painting the picture of his involvement in the Simpson murders. When the two met in person, Glenn told Anthony that OJ hired him to break into Nicole's house and steal some expensive jewelry. And if Nicole was home, well, quote, you may have to kill that bitch. Hmm. Mm hmm But the thing is, the house was left untouched. There's, there's a lot to this, and we'll, we can discuss it in a minute, but let me get through this. So, the Rogers family as a whole also claims that Glenn did, in fact, work for Nicole in 1994. Like, just as a yeah errand person or whatever. They don't really have a specific job title. Just that he kept telling them that he was working for Nicole Simpson at the time. And that he also made verbal threats to them about her consistently. So, that is all in the 2012 documentary. And then, again, in 2019, another movie comes out called The Murder of Nicole Brown Simpson, which tells the story from Glenn and his family's perspectives about the involvement with Nicole Brown Simpson. It's literally a fictional movie, from what I can tell, based on the storyline of Nicole being murdered by a serial killer. Do with that as you will. There's no fact behind this, from what I can tell. They took the documentary and ran with it. Yeah. It has a 0% review rating on Rotten Tomatoes, and while I have grown up with the opinion of if Rot Rotten Tomatoes hates it, I'm going to love it, I have no inclination of watching this fucking movie, <laughs> other than the fact that Taryn Manning is in it, the girl from Crossroads. Yeah, I know who it is. And Orange she is was, the New Black and she SVU. Was, she was also in, um, oh, what's... The one, the motorcycle, Jack Steller. Oh my God, Sons of Anarchy, Sons of Anarchy. She's go. also in that. She got there. She got there, y'all. I was like, it'll get there. She got there. I'd go through a few steps. It's fine. So honestly, Taryn Manning would be the only reason that I watched this movie. Otherwise, I feel like it's just a fucking waste of time. It was a fucking waste of money. Like, you created a fictional storyline based on a real-life tragedy. Yeah. So, all of that being said, I don't personally believe that Greg 
did murder Nicole. Do I think that he believes he did it? Yes. Maybe, yeah. But I don't think he did it. And you, I feel like you feel the same way. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting theory, but I feel like there is more in the fact that it was possibly OJ's son. I totally buy that theory. That, like, there's just so much that you can more link to it being him. Mm-hmm. Than even it being OJ. <laughs> I agree with that. It just, it was a Whether fun... it was one of them, it, like, that's up for debate. But, like, I feel like if you're going to blame, if you're going to sit there and say, okay, it's either OJ or his son, I'm going to pick his son. Agreed. I just think that this was an interesting conspiracy theory yes. <laughs> that I wanted to jump on. And it tied in nicely with your recent quick case. <laughs> yes. But that is my case for today from Ohio and Mississippi. Oh. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed it and we'll kick you off to the last call. Welcome back to another last call. And for today's last call, I'm going to talk about Criminal Minds. Yeah. <laughs> is a fan favorite around here and the newest like series that has come out the criminal night criminal minds i think it's called evolution or something like that it's the new one that's on paramount plus and it's whoo it is giving us um israel keys vibes like it For is sure. like basically laying down that serial killer like basically a profile to a T. And if you're not familiar with Israel Keys, he we, is a mind fuck. Yes. And we definitely plan on covering him at some point. It's just that is one that we we need time to research and do it justice because it's a lot. It's a lot and he is probably one of our favorite ones. And it's weird to say, like, you have a favorite serial killer, but, like, it's just, he's so much of a mindfuck that, like, you can't help but, like, feel interested in his story. To try to crack the code. Yes. And he's just, he, he was so random in that. But, like I said, we'll eventually get into that, and that'll be... I mean, to do him justice, you have to do him as a two-part at least. Mm -hmm. So that will be probably a two or three-part like series of episodes from us. Mm -hmm. But getting back to Criminal Minds, because the new series is still like in the process of that, there's not much about it, but just criminal minds in general. I do have a few little fun facts. So, Criminal Minds was originally called Quantico and was still going by that title less than two months before CBS announced its 2005 2006 like premiere lineup. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I remember Quantico. Yeah. Being talked about. Yeah. But, like, obviously, that was a long time ago for yeah. us. Uh, the actress that is Penelope Garcia. Her name is Kristen or Kirsten, however you want to pronounce it. I don't know how she does. Van. Vanginus? I don't know how you say her name. I'm so sorry. I do love you, Penelope, though. You're you're the you're one of my saving graces of this this series. I love her so much. So she was originally only set to play like one like basically like an episode and like that be it, or maybe a few episodes. She was really like only scheduled to be like on this series for like very minimal appearance, <laughs> and. 
she got such like great reviews in that they ended up keeping her for basically the entire time. Mm-hmm. She had some brief absences, but that's also very fitting with Penelope's character. In season four, episode Memoriam, it features Shamar Moore, who, hello, Shamar, (laughs) who, that man, you can call me baby girl all you want. (laughs) We love you. (laughs) Who, that man, that is some fine chocolate. Mm -hmm. But if you don't know who Shamar Moore is, he plays the character of Morgan. Um, And in the episode that it is referencing, he actually is watching The Young and the Restless, which he actually starred on for, like, a few, like, episodes. It was, like, more than a decade that he was on Young and the Restless. Let me go back and find those. Mm -hmm. Uh, another little fun fact. Spencer Reed wore glasses on the show only because actor Matthew Gray, uh, is it Goobler? Goobler? Sounds good. He was allergic to con- He was allergic to contact lenses, like, lens solution. Mm -hmm. So half the people think they're great. And the other half think that they're the ugliest they've ever seen. And say, you look like a nerd. Says Goobler. Spencer's my fave. We love Spencer. But he says he thinks they fit the character. Which I agree. I mean, we love We love Dr. Reed. Mm-hmm. Shamar and Dr. Reed. Those are the two reasons you should watch the series. Although, I do love JJ. And, like, the women on that series are just... Oh, they're peak. (laughs) Uh, The next one. Criminal Minds inspired a South Korean adaptation. Also called Criminal Minds. Cast member Lee Jon... Gi-won won some award for his role in the series. I don't know. I feel like that's something Logan might watch. <laughs> I'll have to ask her. Be like, have you watched a Criminal Minds, like, Korean edition? Possibly. <laughs> Probably. Uh, the show also inspired 2018's Criminal Minds, the mobile game. So they uh, animated a, like, David Rossi looking concerned over the cartoon corpse of a husband, wife, and their two children. I'm always worried about those games just because I feel like they only think about them for so long and they're like, oh, you solved the case? Uh, We don't have anything else. So it's like you paid or you didn't pay to like download this game. And then like once you beat it, they don't have a like backup plan. AJ Cook's real life son. So she plays JJ if you don't know who that is. So her real life sons played the character of her like JJ's sons in the like series. Because JJ ends up having two boys. So her real sons play her two boys on the series, which I feel like makes it probably easier for the actor (laughs) to have, like, that maternal instinct. Mm -hmm. Aisha Taylor, who joined Criminal Minds in season 11 after Jennifer... I can't speak... She joined in season 11 after Jennifer Love Hewitt left. Well, they were actually co-stars on Ghost Whisper. 
So it's kind of funny that they ended up replacing each other on the show. So another little fun fact that list is Aisha Taylor and Paget Brewster, who is who plays Emily. Mm-hmm. Uh, both guest starred on Friends as a love interest of Joey's, who falls for one of his pals. I feel like I remember Aisha, but I don't remember um, Emily. <laughs> I definitely remember Aisha on that show, but I do not remember Emily's character. But then again, I'm not as obsessed with friends as a lot of people. I have even rewatched it, and I don't know if I've picked out Emily. So, definitely have to look and see what like episode that might be. Uh, next one, it says, Season 14 and 15 of Criminal Minds were filmed back-to-back and ultimately, um, basically Rossi's character's last day of filming came more than nine months before the series finale ended. Like, it ended, like, aired. So... Which is funny because if you watch the new series, Rossi is there. Mm-hmm. It's like he never left. So then the next little article that I came across for like some little fun facts. Um, basically says like each character on the show has actually experienced a personal trauma the co-executive producer explained that the personal story has to have the same emotional weight as the case in darkness and intensity. Which, if you think about it, yeah, they all have their own dramas. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that's what makes it, like, such a good drama. hmm Now, if you've watched princess bride and you know mandy uh paddington i think is how you say his last name i don't know he was inigo montoya but he was also on criminal minds he was like early episodes like the early season so he actually decided to leave Criminal Minds after he realized just how disturbing and gruesome the show was. He later revealed that if he had known just how extreme the TV series would be, he would have never taken the role. I'm like, but, but, Mm -hmm. come on. I loved seeing him on the show. Mm -hmm. So, he was replaced by Rossi who I mean come on we all loved him we all still love him Mm -hmm. but like what seems like a completely random act when Rossi first appeared on Criminal Minds he shoots a duck however the truth is that the action had a very relevant and specific specific meaning So, Joe Montagna, I think is how you say his last name, took the place of fellow fellow actor Mandy Paddington, whose character was a bird lover. So, him coming in and shooting a duck was basically shooting Mandy's Mm -hmm. character, like, out of the series. I'm like, damn. If you do follow the series, if you really pay close attention to details, you'll find it funny that basically in season six, Garcia shoots a man in the head, but in season eight, he 
actually becomes her boyfriend. Which I think I, like, slightly remember, but also that, yeah, thing, that was a long time ago. ago. So I'm like, oh shit. (laughs) I was like, granted, um, I can't think of his name, like, the actor, but he, like, when he usually did have roles on shows, when he was just, like, a one-time, like, thing, he was either the bad guy or he was the one that got killed. This one says, to a degree, Dr. Reed has an MIT degree entirely by accident. So what Breen Fraser actually intended on doing was giving Dr. Reed a degree from Caltech while he was writing an episode of season seven. And basically hardly anyone like recognized the mistake. So Reed ended up having a degree from MIT, even though it was never talked about. During the opening credits of the show, the faces you see are actually real mugshots of prolific killers. Some of the faces you can see are Charles Manson, Lee Harvey Oswald, John Wayne Gacy, and Theodore Theodore John Kaznowski, a.k.a. the Unabomber. Mike Wazowski! (laughs) Right? (laughs) So I guess I'll have to watch, like, the original and just be like, can I pick out who's who? Oh, I definitely have watched it. I could pick out who's who. I fucking love it. If I could ever meet Spencer Reed... (laughs) Or Derek. Yes. So, speaking of Derek Morgan. So, obviously we all love to see, like, great chemistry on and off screen for, like, characters. And that, so a perfect example of the kind of relationship is that of Morgan, who is Shamar Moore, and Garcia. And when he called her baby girl, when no one else could remember the new girl's name, he was quick to come up with one. What most people don't know is that it was totally unrehearsed, but look how catchy baby girl has become. Because, Shamar, you unlocked a kink in all of us. (laughs) Ain't that the truth? You just unlocked so much in all of us. <laughs> Baby girl is right up there with Atta girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, um, trying to see if there's anything else. I mean, there's so many little fun facts. You could find so many and not cover them all just because can. Criminal Minds has gone on for how many seasons now? And like I said, you have the new one on Paramount Plus, which as of the time of recording is only four episodes in. So it's very easy to catch up on. But by the time this airs, it's probably going to be a good six or so episodes in. But still, pretty easy to catch up on. And like we said, is giving us... Israel Keys vibes galore. I am so excited to see how they go about kind of wrapping this season up. If they do, if they think they're going to continue it and make it bleed into the next series, like, I don't know. It's crazy. Like, if you know details of Israel Keys, it just makes you go, Oh my god, what if this is, like, the real, like, the real Israel Keys, like, mm-hmm. story? Like, the fact that, you know, his killings were so random, and they jumped all over the place, and there were these kill buckets and stuff, and you're just like, what if all along he had these helpers, and we just didn't realize it, and then when he wasn't around to make these, like, 
basically kill buckets and that, that they had to go out on their own and just use what they knew. And so it's, it's just like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> just like, this is opening a whole new mindfuck for me. But I wanted to tie in our criminal minds love and the fact that the new season has started and that it is just as good if not I'm not going to say better because it doesn't have all the characters yet but it's still just as good it's still good and give it a chance but yes yes but thank you for riding on the Hot Mess Express today. If you want to find us on our social medias, we have Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. They are all Tequila She Wrote across the board. You can also email us with any case suggestions, cocktail recipes, beers you want Trish to try, <laughs> <laughs> wines you want me to try, or what really it's us. I'm the picky one. She'll drink wines too. Anyways, you can email us at tequilasherote at gmail.com. We also have our Patreon set up for as little as $2 a month. You get ad-free episodes and you get a bonus episode. And then if you pay a little more, you can get even more content. It just depends on how much you're wanting to pay and what all you're wanting out of our Patreon. But definitely give it a check. See what you want out of it. All that fun stuff. Easiest way to find us there is by going to patreon.com backslash tequila she wrote or by going to our socials, finding our link tree and clicking on the little Patreon button. It should send you directly to our page. Sign up. Everything will be up there in a timely manner. We're still still working on everything. We're human. We're human, guys. It's getting there. It's getting there, okay? (laughs) We're human. We're surviving uh, the post-pandemic era as the best that we can. And just doing what we can when we can. (laughs) But Honestly, I've been breaking down for the past two weeks. Oh, Lord. (laughs) But we won't get into that today. Maybe the next episode. But to end this today, I hope you have had a great week and you can do magical things. That's not normally our thing to say here. But as somebody who has been breaking down mentally for the past bit, I just want to like say that you are powerful. You can do magical things and we can all do great things together. I hope you are having a great week and we will catch you later on this week. Bye. Bye. (laughs)